Life Audio. Hello, and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we are here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, it's been a busy couple of weeks here at the Kainos Project World Headquarters in beautiful downtown Corona, California. We've had a lot going on. Uh, we have full-time jobs. We have two babies. One of them had bronchitis. Uh, that was We fun. had Halloween recently, which was busy. We have some projects that we've been working on here at Kainos Project. And so we've been really busy. But you know who we haven't been as busy as? Who? Kanye West. What's his name now? Yay. Yay? Yeah, like Kanye. He's just Yay. So he's, he's the, the artist formerly known as Kanye West, I right. suppose. His name is no longer Kanye West. Get it together. Look at that. I knew something. I guess you already knew it. Never mind. <laughs> Scratch that. So Kanye is sort of in the news cycle every couple of weeks anyways. But the waves that he's been making lately have been a little bit larger than usual. And in fact, in the last couple of weeks, because of some things that Kanye has said, he's actually been losing business partnerships like left and right. And so among them are Adidas, uh, who made his Yeezy shoes, uh, The Gap, which distributed his Yeezy products, Creative Artists Agency, which was his agent, dropped him, Balenciaga, MRC Entertainment, which was producing a documentary about him. TJ Maxx, I didn't know that you could get Yeezy apparel at TJ Maxx, but I didn't apparently know that either. not well you can't anymore. Right. Uh Foot Locker, uh Chase Bank, though some reports say that that happened um before some of these more recent controversies there was some lack of clarity on that. Uh but there are some others that maybe don't have official partnerships with Kanye but have distanced themselves from uh his music like Peloton. There's also his Donda Sports agency. Um I'm not sure exactly what it is. It's like a marketing agency for athletes, and a couple of the athletes have distanced themselves from that as well. And so, yeah, Kanye's got a lot going on with some people dropping him. And I want to talk about why that is, and not only about why it is, but the implications of all of that. But we'll dive into that in just a moment. Okay, so everybody has been canceling Kanye. Yes, I've seen a lot of people on my Instagram feed who were actually upset about the whole Peloton uh, distancing and no longer utilizing his music on the Peloton programs. Yeah, there were a lot of moms that were upset. <laughs> Just like was, white suburban moms yeah. I was upset like, why that they can't listen everyone... to Ye anymore while they you ride their bike. Right, I was like, this feels really odd, the outrage happening over your Peloton right now. But well, yeah, there you have it. But why? Why is Kanye getting canceled? Well, there are a couple of things, and it all kind of started in early October when Kanye debuted these shirts at the Fashion Paris Week, and he was standing there with Candace Owen. There was this photo that she posted, and on the back of the shirts was the phrase, White Lives Matter. That's quite a big statement considering what it's playing off of, which is Black Lives Matter. Yeah, so obviously that led to some serious backlash. Right. And the backlash led to TV interviews um, and just a lot of successive statements from Kanye West. Uh, he went on Tucker Carlson's show and did a bunch of other interviews, Pierce Morgan, I think. Um, but what really stuck is that Kanye started making some pretty anti-Semitic comments. 
especially those who started criticizing him. And the more he got criticized, kind of the more anti-Semitic his comments became, basically implying that, you know, the people who are criticizing him were being controlled by the Jews, essentially, and the Jews have been trying to control him, but he's not playing that game anymore. And at one point, he kind of apologized when he was on Pierce Morgan, but then like two minutes later, he doubled down on his anti-Semitic comments. Uh, So he's been doubling down in a number of different ways in a number of different places. And as he's done that, he's begun to torch a great number of his business relationships. Right. And the reason this is so important and even why we're bringing it up at all on our podcast is not just to talk about like what's trending in the news and especially when it comes to popular artists. But the big factor um, that's at play behind all of this is that there are a great number of evangelical Christians who are now very supportive of Kanye West in a way that they certainly weren't before. And that's because as of 2019, right? It was 2019? Yeah. Yeah. Where he announced that he's now Christian and he actually came out with an album. Two albums now, actually. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, maybe three. So there wow. was Jesus is King, there was Donda, and I think there's Donda too. Oh, okay. okay. I haven't followed super duper closely. I just um, knew about Jesus is King. I didn't know about any of the other ones. But that obviously affects the conversations happening within the Christian community. And now the kind of um, headlines that he's making, it's controversial in a lot of ways, but it definitely leans into the issues of, is this someone that Christians should be supporting? And how are his comments and his um, beliefs and theories either coming alongside some Christian theories and beliefs or now being supported in a way that they never were um, and in my opinion they certainly should not be yeah so I want to talk about Kanye but I'm not here to pile on to whatever criticism he's receiving but only to evaluate his ideas not only because he's become something of the darling of white evangelicalism in the last couple of years but also because um, a lot of what he's saying and the rhetoric that he's repeating is actually some stuff that's been germane to the life of evangelicalism for quite some time. And so today I want to talk about Kanye, but really what I want to talk about is the history of anti-Semitism within the Christian church and uh, particularly within evangelicalism. And then also I want to kind of talk about the cross-section between mental health as an explainer and mental health as an excuse for behavior because Kanye apparently is in the midst of some kind of a mental health episode. And so as we get towards the end, I want to talk about that a little bit and some of the implications uh, ethically for people who are engaging with Kanye on a personal level. Uh, But first I want to start off at the level of ideas and the ideas that he is kind of espousing. Right. So on social media, Twitter, particularly um, his anti-Semitic views have really uh, been communicated quite strongly. And even to the point of people rallying behind that and setting up um, like marches or what not necessarily protests. Right. But just demonstrations of the fact that they agree with a lot of the comments that he's been making on Twitter. And I think the one that really set this all into motion in this regard was when he had, um, let's see, was it October that he tweeted this too? 
I think it was. It was yeah. shortly after he went on Tucker Carlson and Pierce Morgan, which was um, kind of maybe the second week of October. Yeah. So he said that he was going to go Death Con 3 on Jewish people. Yeah. He wrote Death Con. Right. What he Instead meant was Def Con, right. which is the defense readiness condition that you know me- is measured in descending numbers that indicates the measure to which the United States military needs to be ready for armed conflict. But he said, I'm going to go Death Con free on yeah. Jewish people in all caps. Right. So Kanye's belief is that Jewish people control the media and the economy, which is a really a long-standing anti-Semitic theory. There's a storied history of that. Yes. Kind of. Right. Um, and I think at this point, his his thought process is like now he's going to expose this and expose their influence. And obviously, he thinks it's a very negative influence that they're having over the economy and the entertainment industry and really everyone at large, right? Um, but this theory is not new to him. This is a longstanding theory that many Americans have held to, but it it is something that has also been very strong within the evangelical Christian worldview as well. Yeah, and so he's been saying a lot of things. Again, I said he apologized for some at some point, but then he doubled down on it. In one interview, it was kind of like a man-on-the-street paparazzi interview, but in one interview, Kanye actually brandished a spreadsheet with a list of Hollywood execs who are Jewish, and it had like red lines of like which ones were Jewish. And in that same interview, he said that a Jewish doctor misdiagnosed him with bipolar disorder so that he could potentially poison and kill him with medication, just like he claims that Prince and Michael Jackson were. And so another important wrinkle in this is going to be the fact that Kanye is, by his own declaration, off of his medication. But we'll get into that later. However, these are all important things to talk about and to interface with because Kanye's really amplified some fringe anti-Semitic voices that have now been animated in protest. And so in both LA and Chicago, there's photos, there's news stories about this. Um, There's been protests and demonstrations of people holding up signs that say Kanye is right about the Jews. And one of those groups that is particularly animated right now is the Goyim Defense League, which is kind of the response to the Anti-Defamation League, which has been around for over 100 years and has combated anti-Semitic rhetoric and violence and things like that. And so there are people actually literally going into the streets because of things that Kanye has said. And so this is having real-world consequences. Right. It just goes to show you that as, as much as there's entertainment behind what Kanye is saying and what he's doing, and a lot of people are, I think, involved in it for the sake of the entertainment aspect of it uh what he is saying and what he is doing like you said has real world consequences i mean it's rallying people in the streets it's giving a voice and normalizing people's views that should not be acceptable within our culture should not be normalized they should be like looked down on and criticized and people should have a very critical approach to anyone who has anti-semitic views and should be standing up against that But instead, because of the power that Kanye West has and the influence that he has, regardless of why he has it, right? I mean, I know there's the issue of his his mental health state right now. And is this coming out of that place, considering he's saying he's not using medication? Many would say absolutely yes. But 
Then you have those who already agree with what he's saying, and now they're rallying behind him and using him as this massive voice, this massive platform that can normalize their views and now get their views out into the public without feeling shame or guilt about them, which is going to have some real negative consequences in our culture and in our society. Yeah, so it's a bit of a the emperor has no clothes kind of situation. Yeah. But for as bizarre and truly troubling as it is, this type of anti-Semitism is actually not foreign to uh, Protestant and even evangelical circles. So I'd love to take a moment from the beginning to kind of talk about the history of anti-Semitism in Christian thought. And it, it really actually goes back to the beginning, even before the New Testament canon was completed. Yeah, so the relationship between um, Gentile Christians and Jews is almost as old as the church itself. Like when you look at Paul's letters to the church of Galatia and to uh, the church of Rome, these are the types of things he's talking about is this relationship between the Jewish people and the Christian Gentiles and the conflict that was happening, um, especially because you have like Jesus was crucified, right? And who was it that called him to be crucified um, in Scripture, we see it's within the the Israelite community, within the Jewish community. That is where this was happening because Jesus was Jewish. Uh, So it makes sense that it was happening within this community. But now you fast forward and you take that and you take that out of Scripture. and, And now there's this like hate against Jewish people saying like, well, you are the one who crucified our Savior, Jesus. Like this is all your fault. And it's having such negative effects. And there is absolutely no way that we can look at scripture and see this is the kind of rhetoric we should be having. This is the kind of view on the Jewish people that we should be having. Like Christ came through the Jewish line and it was so that he can bring salvation to the Jewish community and to the world. Like the picture of him coming through the Jewish people is part of the Jewish history. Right. And now there's some aspect of Gentiles that are trying to own that history and take it as their own and even twist it against the Jewish people. Yeah. And that's a common refrain among um, particularly white nationalist anti-Semitism is that Jews are the ones who killed Jesus, Uh, which when you actually look at the biblical account, it was more of a handholding between the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem and the Roman Empire because the Jews didn't even have the power of the sword. And so even that argument is somewhat flimsy. So even though it was the Jewish community that brought Jesus before the Roman leaders, it was the Roman leaders that ended up carrying out the crucifixion. Yeah. And so this kind of like tension between the Jewish people and the Gentile people, and even in the Christian community, it began with the earliest generation of the New Testament uh, it persisted through the centuries, um, and it, it has resulted in wherever there's Christian power, there's there's often been uh, pockets of oppression against Jewish people, whether that's um, systemic or non-systemic, depending on where you're looking at. And it even made its way up to the first reformer, Martin Luther, but we'll talk about him in just a second. So anti-Semitism has been a part of, unfortunately, 
the Christian community uh, pretty much from the beginning, um, but we see pockets of it throughout history, and even as the church splits uh, Catholic and Protestant, we even see it as part of the ideology of the father of the Reformation in Martin Luther. Martin Luther actually originally believed that it was the evils of the Catholic Church that had kept the Jews from coming to faith in Christ. Like he saw the Jewish community and was like, well, they're not seeing Jesus as their savior. This must be as a result of what's happening within the systems and structures of the Catholic Church. Well, after he, you know, posts his 95 thesis and there's this split and there's the Reformation happening, um, he begins to change his language about how he talks about the Jewish community Uh, And realizes that even after the Reformation, they are still not converting to the Christian faith. They're still not seeing Jesus as the promised Messiah. They're still not seeing him as the Savior, as the promised one throughout all of the Old Testament. And so now he begins to become openly hostile towards them, uh, calling for their exile, the destruction of their property. And really, this being just a violation of their human rights. Yeah, I think even at one point he advocated for them to be enslaved or uh, right. to have some kind of indentured servitude. Yeah, and you can still read these, like his view on this today. He wrote a whole uh, treatise about it called "On the Jews and Their Lies." You can probably just Google it. It's probably in the yeah. public domain somewhere. It is. Yeah. It's pretty, um, pretty shocking stuff. It is really shocking, and it's it's a hard fact about Martin Luther, right? He There's so much we can look at um, him and what he's done within the church and obviously the Reformation, um, bringing back that it's through salvation alone and grace alone that we are saved. Um, but you cannot hide this very tragic part of what he was leading and there are many who would say that because of what he wrote, there were Jewish people that were killed because of how much of an influence he had. And so not that there's this like direct parallel between Kanye West and Martin Luther, but you just see that when someone has influence and someone has power, regardless of how it got, they got there, regardless of what their belief system is, that it has a way of rallying groups of people together and it can bring about harm to other people. Yeah, and fast forward to the 20th century in that very same country of Germany and we have the Jewish Holocaust. Now, there have been people who have argued that uh, some of the anti-Semitic rhetoric was theologically found its heritage in the anti-Semitism of Luther. Some have said it's not. And so that's somewhat in dispute, but there were certainly theological overtones to that uh, during World War II. And then you look at post-war America and anti-Semitism, it reigned supreme, you know, no no pun intended, in uh, white nationalist uh, white Christian nationalist groups like the KKK. So like the KKK would call themselves a Christian group. They would call themselves a nationalist group. Uh, and they believed that their racism was rooted in Christian teaching. Um, and really they were religious nationalists in, in their own version of Christianity. They were uh, racial nationalists uh, as they supported, um, you know, nationalism as, as opposed to, you know, Western liberalism, which is, you know, another word for representative democracy. I mean, one of their popular slogans was America first. Um, take that for what you will. I'm not going to provide any more commentary on that, but I thought that was an interesting little factoid. Uh, but they saw and they see Jews as radical left-wing liberal elites who 
aren't really even the true descendants of Israel. And um, they often refer to them as globalists. This is an idea, anti-Semitic idea that um, because of the Jewish diaspora, that um, wherever Jews are, they're not loyal to their own country of origin, where it might be like the Jews here in America are not loyal to America, but they're loyal to some globalist, elitist conspiracy that will circumvent the the common good of whatever nation that they're in. And so that's what they're they're often called by um, anti-Semitic white nationalists. And these white nationalists, like the KKK, uh, according to their version of this, what's called the Lost Tribes of Israel conspiracy theory, they are actually the the true Israelite tribes. There's this uh, this uh, conspiracy that there were these tribes that left the the nation of Israel prior to the the Jewish diaspora, and they migrated to like Western Europe, which means that white people are the true descendants of Israel. And the rest of these people that call themselves Jews are actually fake Jews, and they have no actual lineage from the biblical Jewish people. The interesting thing about that thought is it only gives uh, fire and power to these distorted views. Because as you look at scripture, you do see this place this continued place for the Jewish people uh, to, I mean, not just exist, but you see the Bible talking about the Jewish people and the remnant and just a lot of stuff happening within Revelation and um, even some of the Old Testament teachings as we look forward to what the end is going to look like. And there is a lot of language that still talks about that distinction between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. So for this lost tribes theory to then say, well, we are the true Israelites ends up just pivoting it in a way that is only beneficial to this very distinct group. Even though it's like really hard to track any truth to that, right? Yeah. It's it's completely fabricated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There might be some weird like website you can go to that looks like an old MySpace profile. Yeah. Where there's quote unquote evidence there, but it's, it's not peer-reviewed. Let's just say that. And so Kanye West, what he's doing is he's actually tapping into this nationalistic language. And what's kind of strange about it is he's tapping in, he's kind of like cherry-picking from white nationalist uh, rhetoric and also black nationalist rhetoric. So um, he's been spouting off pretty regularly about black people being the true Jews based on a black nationalist version of this Lost Tribes of Israel conspiracy theory, which is held against uh, by like, extremist groups like uh, a group called the Black Hebrew Israelite Movement and also famously the Nation of Islam which is not the same as like the the religion of Islam there's this sect within that this extremist sect that's within that um, that's a black nationalist group and so in the same way you have white nationalists you have black nationalists and Kanye kind of mixes the black nationalist rhetoric with the white supremacist language in things like the White Lives Matter shirt so he says that black people are the, the true Jews in line with these black nationalist extremist groups. But then he has this shirt that says White Lives Matter, which the Anti-Defamation League has categorized as a white supremacist phrase in response to Black Lives Matter. So all that to be said, like Kanye West doesn't have a coherent ideology here um, since he mixes all these things together. But in any case, the commonality in all the rhetoric that he's borrowing from 
is fundamentally anti-Semitic. Right, and that is where the problem lies. It's not necessarily how he derived at any of these ideologies or how he's mixing any of them. It's that he's taking all of this anti-Semitic language and sure, he's morphing it into just a different type of ideology, but it still is rooted in this very real hate and call for destruction of a certain people group, particularly the Jews, which, I mean, history proves itself over and over and over again that any time we have this um, public drive to hate any specific group of people, it never ends well. And there's so much harm done to that group of people, all because you had some influential voices that were stating things, whether they were truth or not, didn't really matter as long as you could rally enough people behind you to move forward. And it's so important to have these conversations that aren't silent about the harm that is happening with this kind of anti-Semitic rhetoric. There has to be voices that stand up and say, this is wrong. This is not biblical. This does not represent what Christ has for the world as he's called to not only bring salvation from the Jews, but for the entire world. This goes against everything the Bible is teaching. And for voices to remain silent is just as much harm as those that are like actually actively going out and doing it because you have to have another powerful voice, another influential voice that's going to speak out against these types of things. Uh, Yeah, it's just so interesting. I would have never thought that this like fringe group would would gain so much momentum in our day and age. Like you thought that was something that happened long ago. Like, did we not learn anything from the Holocaust? Right. And to be sure, I'm not saying that Kanye is thinking about these things with the level of sophistication that we're speaking about them now with connected to the history and the different ideologies and how they connect and intersect. But even if he has no prior knowledge of those things, the words themselves have weight because of that history that's attached to them. And that's where the damage comes from. Well, anytime you're going to call out a specific group and talk about like, I mean, he going called it death con. Death con. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, that alone, like you can't say that, well, he didn't have prior knowledge about anything, like any of the, the deep history. Okay, so let's say he just genuinely didn't know about any of that stuff, which seems very unlikely, but let's say he just didn't know. The fact that you are calling out an entire group of people and saying you're going to go death con on them, like that has weight to it, regardless of what prior knowledge you had about the the sufferings and the ailments of that people group. Right. And so that's kind of like the cuckoo crazy version of um, anti-Semitic, particularly white nationalist, white Christian nationalist uh, rhetoric um, that has existed kind of alongside an evangelical stream. Uh But there is actually anti-Semitism that has shown up in the evangelical movement proper, even in and among uh, figures that most evangelicals would say like, oh, yes, this is the prototypical evangelical character. Um, Even dispensationalists, which that seems ironic. We talked about dispensationalists a couple of weeks ago where they believe that God still has a special plan for the nation of Israel. But I guess that only applies if you're the right kind of Jew, because there's like still this kind of like, yes, God still has a plan for Israel in the future. um, But for now, they're the globalist elitists groups that are going to 
take away our American values or whatever it might well, be. Well, even if you go back to the Lost Tribes theory, right? If if it's the like now Western European people that are the true Israelites, then sure we can get behind this concept that God is still has a plan for them, right? Yeah, I like mean, there's kind of that the benefit of saying it's not really these people, it's us instead. Like that can be supported in scripture if you take that view. Right. But even without that view, like in mainstream evangelicalism, there's still the bias even without that okay, yeah, justification I get, I get of that weird saying. conspiracy theory. To, right. No, you're so like, talking uh, about not the fringe groups right now. So like, now I'm talking about Billy within, Graham. Okay. So well, literally, there's a big name. Okay. literally Billy Graham, uh, it was revealed a number of years ago, this private conversation that he had with President Richard Nixon, whom uh, Graham had actually um, campaigned for Nixon's reelection, and that was kind of like the last political campaign he did because there was a lot of egg on his face out of after Watergate and the whole deal. Um, but there was this uh, private conversation between uh, Richard Nixon and Billy Graham, and uh, referring to what he believed to be uh, the Jewish people's undue influence in the country, Graham said to Nixon, "This stranglehold." has got to be broken or a country's going down the drain. And then later on in that conversation, he suggested that if Nixon were to be reelected, then, quote, we might be able to do something about it. And he was referring to what he believes the, the liberal, global, elitist Jewish influence in America. Uh, other notable evangelical leaders like megachurch pastor John Hagee uh, at other points suggested that the Jewish people had brought the Holocaust on themselves by angering God for their part in Jesus's death and then their refusal to put their faith in him. And so there's varying degrees of this, whether it's kind of evangelical adjacent with the whole white Christian nationalism of the KKK, or it's like dead center right in the mainstream with Billy Graham and John Hagee. Um, it has been, pre- it's, it's been an unfortunate presence within uh, this American evangelical movement. Yeah, and it goes to show that what is happening through the very like public eye through Kanye West is something that is within the history of the Christian church and evangelicalism. And it's not, again, it's not something new that Kanye has come up with, but it is something that has been just this underlining theory or ideology within even the Christian church. And because now he's made such a public voice, it has allowed these ideologies that might have been sitting a little bit more quietly, even today within the church to come out and have a bigger voice now. Yeah. And it just kind of illustrates that what Kanye, he's at some points, he's just tapping into it. And at other points, um, he's just caricaturizing is the uncomfortable closeness between, you know, when evangelicalism is at it, at its worst, that it has these ties to white supremacy, nationalism, anti-Semitism. Not to say that good, sound, orthodox evangelical theology is with those things, but or congruent with those things. It's not. But as a broader cultural movement, they these things tend to to collide with one another and get intertwined in some some weird ways, and so um, we should be we should be uh, really conscious of that, particularly when we see rhetoric like this rear its ugly head. 
Yeah. And that goes back to what I was trying to say earlier is it is important to speak out against it because it does have some like history within the Christian view. And it has history not too long ago history. I mean, right. You got Billy Graham. He is, I mean, among our generation, sure. We, I never heard him preach, but like my parents' generation, that was. I heard him preach once. I went to a Billy Graham crusade. Oh, did you really? Mm -hmm. It was one of his last ones though. Okay. Yeah. So see, like we were probably the tail end of like the Billy Graham era of actually knowing his name, but it's not that long ago that we had this kind of thinking, regardless of how strong it was, regardless of how um, vocal it was, like it still was a view that was sitting within the evangelical church, within the evangelical movement. And so it's important to stop it in its tracks when it starts getting a voice again. Right. Yeah. And we should just be kind of critical of, of the rhetoric attached to and is adjacent to anti-Semitism, even if it's not explicitly anti-Semitic or explicitly um, racist in some way. Because like when you think about like when Kanye goes on Fox News or OAN or whatever, and he denies the existence of systemic racism in America, and he says things like white people are the most persecuted people in the nation, or he quotes uh, stats from... Uh, you know, that black communities experience the highest rates of abortion and he uses that as a means to kind of impugn the collective character of those communities. You know, white conservative evangelicals, they really like that because those are the talking points among the Republican Party and to a large extent within a lot of white evangelical circles. Um, and to have a, a black man saying those things, particularly a, a black Christian man with as black man that has as much cultural cachet right. as Kanye has had over the past couple of decades, it kind of lends credence to those things. But then when Kanye spouts off about, you know, anti-Semitism, all of a sudden it feels shocking and dissonant. But really it shouldn't if we're paying attention because it's deeply connected with all these other ideologies that he's been espousing for quite some time now. And so if anti-Semitism shocks us, then maybe we should rethink some of those other ideologies that are connected to it, adjacent to it, have some kind of familial connection to this kind of constellation of ideologies. So if you're shocked by some of these anti-Semitic things, Maybe we should think about some of the things it's connected to as well. Right. No, and that's a good point because we often want to see them like, wow, now this is really large and this is really loud and this is really offensive. But these other things that kind of seemed a little bit softer because they already fit into things that I viewed. Now I am shocked and appalled when you're right. They have more connection than we want to give them credit for. Yeah. And so it's not an isolated incident. Um, And again, I feel like it's important to say that I don't think Kanye is doing this intentionally. And this is where maybe we can turn to more the mental health discussion where he's not putting forth a coherent ideology. Unfortunately, the, all the ideas that he is espousing tend to connect and end up in a place of anti-Semitism. Um, but given the, the manic and at times incoherent nature of the way he conveys these ideas and has been conveying these ideas, they appear to be part of, of a larger question and conversation about mental health, particularly when your mental health is on display for the entire world to see because you have millions of followers that pay attention to everything that you do. 
Yeah, to keep the mental health conversation away from what's happening would be uh, to not look at the picture like wholly in its entirety. And the reality is it has become public knowledge. Like Kanye has said it himself. There's been interviews like people who uh, know him and love him have shared that he has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I mean, now he's saying it was a misdiagnosis, but uh, he's also been open about the fact that he's not on medications either. And now we're seeing these kind of um, just unhinged Kanye West. And it's it's really unfortunate um, the way that it's being publicized and the way that it's becoming profitable. Um, I think that's something we want to be able to talk about, too, is how do we view mental health in terms of um, like publicizing it in a way that becomes profitable? Yes. So just so that the listeners at home understand bipolar, there's a couple different there's bipolar one and bipolar two. Kanye has been diagnosed with bipolar one, which is the more um, severe diagnosis and bipolar it's more than just like oh i'm having some mood swings or like i'm indecisive like people say oh my gosh i'm so bipolar by the way don't say that um <laughs> don't don't make light of mental illnesses so mm. uh bipolar one um it's marked by episodes of uh mania manic dis- manic episodes and then uh episodes of depression that'll follow and so the manic episodes uh, they can last days, weeks, even months. And during those episodes, the patients may experience hyperactivity, feelings of invincibility, delusions, racing thoughts, impaired judgment, uh, acting rec- recklessly without consideration for consequences. And so if any of those things kind of sound familiar, it, it would appear that Kanye West is in the midst of a manic episode. Um, and when you're in the midst of a manic episode, with someone as someone who has bipolar one, another thing that you might say is that you don't have bipolar because you have feelings of invincibility. And so uh, it would appear that, that Kanye is kind of really in the midst of a sustained manic episode. Um, I mean, even as people break off professional relationships with him, he's kind of like alluded to the fact that it's all part of the plan. Oh, is, I didn't realize that's much, how he's explaining what's happening. Yeah, which is very mm-hmm. much like a, a manic kind of okay. delusion of grandeur. Um, you can feel feelings of persecution when you're in a manic episode. Um, you can speak so quickly that you fumble over your words. These are all behaviors that Kanye's exhibiting. Um, and so if we know he has a pre-existing bipolar diagnosis, then um, it, it's pretty plain to see. And this kind of leads us to a couple of questions on things or things that we should question rather uh first is like the public exploitation of someone who's experiencing a mental health crisis like everyone just keeps putting a microphone in front of kanye and there's a couple of reasons that might be but none of the reasons are good so in some cases like in the case of tucker carlson it it's likely because kanye has is saying stuff that that tucker's viewers would agree with if you edit it right, it sounds like he's, you know, saying coherent things that the Republican Party would agree with. And so he wants to leverage Kanye's celebrity cachet, essentially. Uh, but then for others, it's really just a means of cruel entertainment because honestly, Kanye is saying like some crazy things. And it's like must watch TV for a lot of people because you never know what he's going to say next. And so we just, right. let's just keep putting a microphone in front of him. We're yeah. going to get gold. We're going to get clicks. We're going to get views. It's going to be great. We're going to make all kinds of money off of this. Which is pretty cruel. 
Right. It's pretty cool if you think about the fact that we're all very much aware of um, his mental health issues and that he's probably going through like an episode in like right before our eyes, but we continue to publicize it and people are either entertained by it or they're trying to leverage uh, whatever benefits they can find from the views that he's stating. Yeah. I mean, I mean, hopefully that's not what we're doing with this podcast. <laughs> we're trying, we're, we're not trying to exploit the Kanye name, but, but really just talk about these things in a way that maybe we can be more aware about mental health issues in a, in addition to these really dangerous anti-Semitic views that are that are being espoused, because um, really what's happening to Kanye is that it's it's a commodification of his pain and it's dehumanizing and it um, it profanes him as an image bearer. Um, and really, this is something that kind of has bothered me too. That when we consider that Kanye is a black man in America whose pain is being used for profit. I mean, that's something that should really kind of give us pause and should really be sobering to us. And so we shouldn't be so cynical or so callous that 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 doesn't bother us or that, that, you know, is like water off a duck's back or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's probably not one many of us are thinking about. I know when I see him in the headlines, I'm like, oh, no. You're what like, kind oh, of, he's just crazy Kanye. What kind of crazy right. is going to come out now? But when we think about what kind of a responsibility and a... Um, accountability should we as the public be held to and especially those that are obviously giving him a microphone and giving him interviews and continuing to do this for the sake of you know their numbers going up I mean it feels really heartless and there is some accountability that the public should be held to like we should be held to as humans who care about other humans including Kanye right and I think having compassion for Kanye in that is super important. But the other thing that I think we should consider is that we also can't let some of the things he said slide simply because they're coming out of a man who's apparently experiencing a mental health episode. Like people are literally rising up in the streets with anti-Semitic rhetoric. Um, it could very well provoke pockets of violence throughout the nation. I mean, it's the same thing that we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic yeah. where there was a lot of anti-Asian rhetoric that was being espoused from very public platforms and that led to a a measurable uptick in violence in, in violence against Asian people in yeah. America, oftentimes elderly people just trying right. to get their groceries, people who were innocent and defenseless. Um, there was violence against them because of this rhetoric that was left unchecked and saying, well, it's just, you know, it's a joke or, you know, what they have a point. It came from China, whatever. Um, just making allowances for that um, led to violence. It's in so many ways, it's just so sickening that we continue to be entertained by it. And we continue to allow these types of hate against people groups happen. And I know like it's part of the world that we live in, but there has to be some sense of, yeah, accountability that even we as individuals have as we're making jokes in our friend groups or uh, laughing about things or even repeating some of the phrases as if they're jokes when they're not jokes, right? Like I've heard them, especially when all of that hate speech against Asian Asian people was going around and I was like in groups and heard some of the jokes and thought, these are not jokes. And uh, there came a point when I had to start saying something because... I couldn't just sit with it being uncomfortable for me. I had to actually say like, this is not funny. 
there are people that are having violent acts committed against them just because they're Asian. And your jokes are just making light of it. And your jokes are making it sound like this is not physically harming people. And it is. Yeah. And so we can't be so naive to say like, well, I don't think so. It's just harmless. I mean, it's happened before and it can happen again. And so um, we really need to be strong in our denunciation of any kind of rhetoric that um, seeks to marginalize any group, Um, whether in the case of the pandemic, the anti-Asian hate here with just this precipitous rise in anti-Semitic rhetoric um, that Kanye is a part of, but he's honestly not the only one that's espousing this this kind of rhetoric, uh, particularly in right-wing circles. And so we have to be unequivocal in our denunciation of anti-Semitism in its in all its forms, whether it's like the extreme KKK versions or the versions that, you know, kind of merely says horrifyingly racist things through smiling teeth and a twinkle in the eye. Um, we need to denounce all of it and not really have any tolerance for that. Um, and we need to have compassion for Kanye. Absolutely. Um, I can't imagine the, the pain of, um, having these kinds of mental health episodes, particularly when you live in a fishbowl and everybody sees everything that you do and say, um, but we also need to have compassion for the people that he's hurting in the midst of that illness and uh, that that mental health struggle. Yeah, and as Christians, it's sometimes hard for us to step outside of our culture and society, especially when you have people that are you think representing you because they call themselves Christians. But when someone is acting like unchristlike it's okay to not say they're not Christians, but to acknowledge the fact that that is not a representation of Christ. That's not a representation of who we are called to be. And yes, we are all on the path of, you know, becoming more like Christ. None of us have yet to arrive at now we are the perfect image of what uh, Christ is, who Christ is. But we have to be able to take the words and the actions that are pushing us further away from Christ and call them out. And I know that's hard in our society because it it seems like you have to be all in on one side and you can't actually look at someone's actions and call them out because then it seems as if you're calling that whole group out which is not the case. Like we are all humans continuing to exist in this world and we we don't always get it right, even as Christians, but we are doing more harm to the Christian faith by supporting and rallying behind leaders that call themselves Christians and never being bold enough to call out their actions when they are unchristlike. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kainosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.